Lord God, as we contemplate your word together, we ask that your Holy Spirit would speak to each of our hearts and Lord, just reveal what you want us to know today, Lord, that we may, Lord, turn our hearts toward you completely. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, it's the season of Epiphany, and it's good to see you all here today. Uh, And in this season, we commemorate uh, the coming of the Magi as the first manifestation of Christ to Gentiles. The word epiphany simply means manifestation, but our English language has adopted the word to common usages such as illuminations, uh, like the moment uh, that the light bulb goes on inside of the comic book character's head as he has a thought that allows him to see or figure something out that he previously had not. Uh, In the church and in the gospel context, It's the sudden manifestation of a divine or supernatural being or the enlightenment of the Holy Spirit uh, revealing scripture or even uh, revealing Jesus through the witness of one of his followers to us and bringing thus divine revelation about God to us suddenly. And uh, the season of Epiphany is most significant for us Gentiles. Uh, I spoke a little bit about it during Advent, and Advent and Epiphany have similar meaning. Together, they emphasize the coming and manifestation of Jesus Christ to the Jew first and then to the Gentile. And Epiphany is just really an extension of Advent and Christmas to the Gentiles. But it continues on also as a revelation to the Jews. The epiphany we read about today to the wise men was actually the 11th recorded uh, epiphany chronologically in the Gospels. The previous 10, uh, most of which were recorded in Luke, were likely all to Jews. Just as God's revelation had been almost exclusively to the people of Israel from the time of Abraham, but with a few exceptions like, like Balaam, who actually prophesied some 1,500 years earlier before uh, Jesus about the star rising from Jacob, which of course was Jesus and represented Jesus. Um, From that time on, right up until this uh, epiphany to the wise men, God had pretty much been silent to Gentiles. But prophets like Isaiah and like we read today and the psalmist had always prophesied that God's Messiah would save Gentiles as well as Jews. And as we saw a few weeks ago in Romans, God chose to use the grace that he extended to the Gentiles to provoke his people to jealousy so that they would desire what we had received from God and eventually seek him for it. Christianity is not exclusive of Jews. It began with Jews and was extended to Gentiles, to us Gentiles. Christianity is true Judaism. And as Jesus said, speaking of himself, salvation is of the Jews in John 4.22. So Epiphany only only emphasizes what we Gentiles were also blessed to be included with Israel in God's expression of his grace and mercy, his salvation through Jesus Christ.
from the gospel reading, we understand that the star in the east, which represented Jesus, was not revealed to these wise men from the law of Moses. No, God acted outside of even that to reveal himself and to draw these wise Gentiles to Jesus. And they came and they worshiped him. I'm not saying that these wise men had no access to scripture, they, the, to Hebrew scripture, they mer- very well may have as God's people had been exiled in their land for some time. But when the, uh, they received this manifestation, they traveled a great distance from Persia to bring their gifts and to worship Jesus. Let's, let's read again from verse 10. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother. And of course, uh, that was the completion of the revelation that that began with the star. And they fell down and they worshipped him. That's what they went to Israel for. That's what they went to to see Jesus. And they fell down and they worshipped him. And, and that was their privilege to worship him. And that's our privilege today as we come into this place of worship to worship Jesus. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Those things represent his, the gold, the, his royalty, uh, the frankincense, his divinity, and the myrrh his humanity, and the death that he would uh, die for us. Well, these wise men also took part in revealing Jesus to God's people. How did they do that? Well, we can think that the story is a bit confusing at first, and, and, and it causes us to ask, why did God allow the Magi to, to, to lose bearing, their bearing, uh, to lose the star which they had seen in the east for a time, forcing them to inquire in Jerusalem and resulting later on in the flight of the Holy Family to Egypt and, of course, the deaths of the innocent when the star simply reappeared and and went on before them after that till it came and stood over the place where Jesus was. As Matthew pointed out, that was all to fulfill prophetic scripture. And and I I look back into that scripture in Jeremiah about um, Rachel's Rachel weeping for her children. And I didn't realize it before, but if you read on, the mothers who wept for their innocent children had a promise of blessing from God. The next verse in Jeremiah 31, 16 says, Thus says the Lord, refrain your voice from weeping and your eyes from tears, for your work shall be rewarded, says the Lord, and they shall come back from the land of the enemy. That's a great promise, and that just gave me comfort when, when I read that, because some of these uh, stories, it just makes you, you wonder, but God is in full control. But the reason the wise men inquired was not only to fulfill scripture, but it was also likely to remind God's people, Israel, of the Old Testament prophets, uh, uh, the Old Testament prophecies of the coming Messiah to remind them again. And it was also to remind them of the more recent 
prophecies that had happened in their land about this baby Jesus. Remember the prophecy of Zechariah, uh, John the Baptist's father. Prophecy about Simeon, uh, from Simeon and Anna that we'll probably look at uh, very soon. Um, these were prophecies that people talked about. And that was even, it was even to reinforce the good news, of course, that came from the angels and the shepherds at Jesus' birth. These all were not hidden events. Hundreds, if not thousands of people would have heard about them and been in anticipation of something grand. And we can, as we can still see today, news about royalty tends to spread rapidly. But we read on in verse 3, when Herod the king heard this, when he heard the news of this newborn king from the wise men, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. Well, we understand why Herod would be troubled. He was not Israel's rightful king. And the rightful king was about to be revealed. And that would, of course, spell the end of Herod's rule and his dynasty. And, of course, that would be something that he would be troubled by. But why was all of Jerusalem troubled with him? Well, all I can figure is that it must be that those in Jerusalem who were troubled by this announcement must have been enjoying their lives very much just the way they were. They must have been comfortable with where they were at and with what they had, and they must have um, been good with, with the present system as it had benefited them. Like many today, they didn't really want change to happen right then and there, especially if it would mean that they might be made less comfortable. Did you ever notice that Jesus didn't spend much time of his earthly ministry in Jerusalem? Well, you see, epiphanies from God always require attention and action from those who receive them. And when God reveals something, whether supernaturally or quite naturally through his witnesses, we have to stop whatever we are doing and adjust our life to his revelation. Epiphanies of God necessitate honor of him and service to him always. And God must be worshipped at some expense of our, our own, uh, though everything in the world that comes from him ultimately and belongs to God in the first place, God reveals himself for that purpose, the purpose of relational interchange, of, of giving and receiving. He merits our honor and service, but he gives it to us when we are willing to receive his son as his adopted children through Jesus Christ. He gives us all that he has. It's a relational thing through Jesus that causes us to be loved and to be blessed by God with, as Paul said, every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies when we are in him. And that, of course, includes forgiveness of sins, but much more than that too, and it will last to eternity.
Some of us have had supernatural epiphanies in our own lifetime that have changed us and called us to worship God. Others have not had that type of epiphany, but were granted supernatural understanding of mysteries of God through God's word and from others who testified about Jesus Christ. And that changed them and called them to worship. In, in either case, it's our choice of how we respond to revelation, God's revelation. And the right thing to do is to obey uh, his call to come and worship him, to come and, and humbly humble ourselves to worship and serve him. And, to, and worship, as I said, is sacrificial. It costs us something. If it doesn't cost anything, it's not sacrificial worship, of course. But getting back to our gospel story, it seems to me that those in Jerusalem who heard the news about Jesus, their king, being born, were not ready to worship and submit their lives to him. And therefore, they were troubled. And yet, they still had to make a choice to either worship him or to ignore the, ignore the news of his birth and, and hope that it wasn't true because if it were true, it would end up costing them self-sacrificial worship. And that's what it's all about. It's self-sacrifice. Of course, some would have had a third option many years later, and that would be to call for Jesus' crucifixion someday. And they had hearts, obviously, like Herod. Today, Christians are to continue the proclamation of the epiphany of Jesus Christ, the King. Today, we too are to say we have seen his star and we have come to worship him as we are doing today. And so all who hear our message are also forced to ask themselves, what do I do with such news? Do I ignore it? Hope it goes away? Do I fight against it? Or do I come and see and worship Jesus? If you're in the camp of a worshiper, and I hope all of us here are, don't be afraid to go at God's leading and share the revelation that you have received. Don't be afraid to go to others, Jew and Gentile, no matter the consequences. God works out his purpose in us that way through our sharing and through his leading. Remember and share what the Apostle Paul shared, that God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Jesus Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundations of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. God predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ. That's what his word says. He did that according to his own pleasure, his own goodwill, and he made us accepted in that same beloved son, Jesus. Let's pray. Lord God, we do thank you. Lord, we cannot imagine uh, life without your son, without you sending your son, Lord, uh, with human flesh to take our nature upon him and to suffer death upon the cross for our salvation. We thank you so much for that and we thank you so much for the revelation that you gave to each of us personally. We pray, Lord, that we 
may be your true witnesses as, uh, as these magi, not only to worship you ourselves, but to share with others what we have seen, the grace that you've revealed to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.